This is Doug Hastings, Vice President of Moody Radio, and we're thankful for support from our listeners and businesses like United Faith Mortgage. Let's call it the couch cushion dash. This is the moment when you need a tip for the pizza man, a few bucks for your kid's lunch, or you can't say no to the sweet eight-year-old and her thin mints. But you've got no cash and no other options but to tear apart the house, searching for hidden money. It's Ryan from United Faith Mortgage. And it's funny how we can usually find a way to scrounge together a few bucks hidden around our house. Shame on you if it's from your kids' piggy banks. For many listeners, though, there's enough money sitting inside your home to buy a swimming pool full of thin mints. Home values have gone up across the country the last few years, leaving many of us with a good chunk of equity tucked inside our homes that we could cash out to use for life. If you'd like us to help, we are United Faith Mortgage. United Faith Mortgage is a DBA of United Mortgage Corp. 25 Melville Park Road, Melville, New York. Licensed mortgage banker. For all licensing information, go to nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Corporate NMLS number 1330. Equal housing lender. Not licensed in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, Massachusetts, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Utah. Sometimes we preach a perverted sense of grace where we think I can just not do what God tells me to do, and I can just have this comfortable disobedience. Now, God will put the spotlight on our disobedience and our sin. Welcome to Living a Legacy with Crawford Lorenz. As followers of Christ, we all know that we've been called to serve our Lord. But sometimes we sense God wanting us to do something, and in all honesty, we don't want to do it. We might try to ignore his promptings or just outright say no. But as we just heard from Crawford, when we choose to say no to God, he will put a spotlight on our disobedience. Well, that's what happened to the prophet Jonah as we're learning in Crawford's new series, God's Severe Mercy. Today we look at rebellion exposed and our text will be Jonah chapter one, verses seven through 16. If you're new to our program, Crawford Loritz is a nationally known Bible speaker and author. His mission is to encourage and help shape the next generation of leaders. His books include For a Time We Cannot See, Unshaken, and Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow. If you missed last week's message, you can get caught up through our stream on our website, and I'll tell you how to do that at the conclusion of our time together. Again, our text, Jonah chapter 1, verses 7 through 16. Here's Crawford Loretz on Living a Legacy. Shared with you last week that I've entitled this series on the book of Jonah, God's Severe Mercy. And as you read this book from chapter one all the way through chapter four, the backdrop of the entire book is the mercy of God, how God continues to pursue people, pursue them, go after them, even those who reject him and rebel against him. Interestingly enough, parentheses, (laughs) Jonah rebelled against God and God continued to pursue him. Jonah was sent to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. And as I pointed out last week, the Assyrians were, oh my goodness, they, 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 were, they were the oppressors of Israel. They were vile, they were violent. They were, it was a terrorist state. And Nineveh is a capital city. And so Jonah, uh, it's the only book and the only prophet in the Old Testament where God commissions a prophet to a Gentile nation. Now, they've spoken to Gentiles before, but mainly their, their, their prophetic utterances was directed toward the people of God. He sends them to, to Nineveh. Flat out tells God, 
I'm not going. Not only does he tell him he's not going, he goes down to Joppa, gets on a ship. Nineveh was 500 miles northeast of Joppa. Catch where my man goes. He finds a ship going 2,000 miles away from Joppa in the opposite direction to Tarshish. He's rebelling against God. He's running from the presence of the Lord, thinking that perhaps the more miles he gets away from where God called him to go, that perhaps his conscience would settle down and, and maybe God will give him a pass. Not so, and so we pointed out there in chapter one last week, verses one through six, that there are two lessons that's woven into the tapestry of the entire book of Jonah. These two lessons are simple, they're very clear, but boy, are they very powerful and profound, and they apply to us. Number one, God himself often will tell us to do things that we don't want to do. And number two, this is a sobering one, God will not be ignored or denied. So Jonah gets into this ship, and so it's as if God says, what, what, are, you, what are you trying to do? You, you think you're going to run from me? You think you're not going to do what I tell you to do? You don't think there's consequences for your open defiance? Really? And so he hurls a storm at the ship. And these sailors, they're crying out to their God, their pagan God. And come to find out, Jonah's asleep down, way down in the bottom of the boat, probably because he doesn't want to associate with these Gentiles. He's running away from them. And he's sleeping, not the sleep of peace, but he's sleeping this, this, this sleep of guilt, hoping that maybe, maybe, maybe if he wakes up, this whole thing will be over. They call him up, and they're praying to their God, but Jonah's not praying to his. Now we come to this section here. Chapter 1, beginning at verse 7, going down through verse 16. This is when it gets very direct. And I've, I've, I've broken this up. Uh, actually, I've just put it under the whole banner of rebellion exposed. So now it's strange. This ship is <laughs> threatened to be broken apart. And these sailors had never seen anything like this in their lives. And here they have this prophet on board, and he's not praying to their God. And they're trying to figure out what's going on. They understand that this is supernatural in its nature. And so they're trying to get a message from all of this. Why, why are we in the midst of all of this chaos? And so this narrative, beginning at verse, uh, at verse 7, going through verse 16, is broken up into two parts. There's confrontation, number one, and then secondly, there's confession. But before we get to that, I think it's important for me to say a word about rebellion. Rebellion is not simple disobedience. I suppose broadly, if you're disobeying, you're maybe rebelling. But rebellion, rebellion is, is angry resistance. That's rebellion. Angry resistance. You can have a child that has disobeyed but you wouldn't put them in the context of a rebel. Uh, you know, it's several illustrations. It's, it's, rebellion is like the teenager who is openly defiant and, and just angry and resistant and, and won't, won't go by the rules of the household. Or, or, or you, it's the employer, an employee, excuse me, who, who uh, has a problem with authority and doesn't think that, uh, you know, the rules apply to him or to her. 
and they disregard authority, and they're openly insubordinate. That, that, that's rebellion. Or, or, or it's the Christian who's filled with self-righteousness, and they know that God has called them to do something, and yet they openly, defiantly say, no, I'm not doing that. So God puts the spotlight God puts the spotlight on Jonah's rebellion. Now, I, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, this, this, this is such a confliction in our heads. Jonah is the prophet of God, and yet this prophet of God is rebelling against God. How does that work? And nevertheless, that's what he's doing. And he's the cause for all of this chaos. He's the cause of all of this mess because he's out of purpose. He's out of whack. He's out of line. He's not doing what God called him to do. And God is getting his attention. So what do we have here in this text? You know, this first section, as, as we walk through verses um, 7 through 10, we see this movement under this banner of confrontation that Jonah singled out. <laughs> he's interrogated. And then thirdly, he's found guilty. He's singled out, interrogated, and found guilty. So these sailors come to him, and they say, okay, look, we need to figure out what's going on. Verse 7 says, and they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. Uh, this ship is rocking and rolling, and somewhere along the way, they find that maybe some space or some calm or whatever to cast these lots. And so they cast lots. And the lot falls on, guess who? Jonah. 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 You see, when the captain asked Jonah to pray to his God, Jonah is silent. That's up in verse 6. He said, why aren't you praying to your God? And it's only when the lot is cast and the entire ship confronts Jonah do we get a response from this rebellious prophet. This is sad. Here you have a prophet of God. He's not praying to his God, they're praying to their God. He's not saying a word about the condition that he's in and perhaps that he's the cause for this mess. And when they cast a lot, the only time he speaks up and the only time he, he admits something is when he's like a deer caught in the headlights. You know, it made me think of Psalm 139 verse seven. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I go from your presence? Listen to me. Listen to me. Sometimes we preach a, a perverted sense of grace where we think that we can just do whatever we want to do. We can rebel against God. We don't have to do what he says. And that we're okay. It's all right. I can just not do what God tells me to do, and I can just have this comfortable disobedience, and maybe God will come and meet me where I am, and it won't be so bad for me. Now, God, God will put the spotlight. He will put the spotlight on our disobedience and our sin. So once it's revealed, and here you have Jonah standing there, I mean, can you imagine? He got the short straw, and he's looking around, and homeboy's saying right now, hey, look, ain't no hiding right now. I, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty. It's all over. 
So then they begin to interrogate him. They start asking him questions. We find this here in verse 8. Notice what they say. Said to, uh, then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is, your, what is your occupation and where do you come from and what is your country and what, uh, what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now, we're going to say a word about the verse 10 here in, uh, in a moment, or verse 9 in a moment here, but they interrogate him and they ask him these questions. Now, I love what Tim Keller has to say about this. He has an interesting insight. He's written a wonderful book entitled The Prodigal Prophet. It's on the book of Jonah. And commenting on verse 8, he says, and I quote, the sailors are not asking these questions simply to let Jonah express himself as is answer these specific questions. That's the way we would do in modern Western culture. Their urgent goal is to understand the God who has been angered so they can determine what to do. That's the reason for these rapid fire questions. I don't know that they want a specific answer, but they're saying, what, what have you done wrong for us to be in this mess? Who, who are you? Where are you from? What mission are you from? Oh, what, what's going on here? Obviously, you're the cause of this mess. But then notice how, how he responds, right? It's very interesting, verse 9. Listen to what Jonah says. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, in this line, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now, I, I, everything in me takes issue with Jonah making the statement that I fear the Lord. I fear the Lord. This is an insight into his hypocrisy. It's also an insight into uh, the fact that the fuel for self-righteousness is, is hypocrisy. Now, just think about it. You're in this ship going in the opposite direction of where God called you to go. And you know that you're being disciplined by God. And yet you have the audacity to say, that I fear the Lord. Seriously? Seriously? The Old Testament and the New Testament. The indication of authentic worship has to do with surrender and obedience. So he's saying I'm worshiping God. How in the world are you worshiping God and you're being disobedient? You know, by the way, that's a question for us to answer, isn't it? You see, we compartmentalize our lives. We, we don't think sometimes that one part of my life relates to the other part of my life. You can't authentically worship God and at the same time coddle self-centeredness and do whatever you want to do. We can't do that. And yet Jonah has, uh, <laughs> has the audacity to say, hey, I'm a Hebrew. We're the true people of God. And I fear the Lord, right? I fear God. Do you really, buddy? Do you really feel him? Again, you can't worship God and, dis and disobey him. But see, <laughs> Jonah's claim to worship him is so bogus and so startling, which, which really shows that he himself 
is self-deceived. Well, then thirdly, he is found guilty, singled out, interrogated, and now he's found, he's found guilty. Verse 10 says, then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Man, what you're saying doesn't make sense. You, you, you told us that you're fleeing from the presence of the Lord, but now you just tell us that you fear the Lord. What, and we're in this pickle. We're about ready to die. This ship is being blown apart. What, what, is, it that, what is this that you've done? He's found, he's found guilty, guilty. Again, this is not uh, so much a, a question as it is a statement of horror at Jonah's disobedience. What is this that you've done? They knew what he did. It's just like you say to one of your children or someone close to you who's done something that is so outlandish and crazy and horrible and hurtful. You, you, you know what they did, but you say, well, what did you do? That's what these guys are. Man, you know, th- this is not just some little inconvenience that we're going through. We're, we're about to lose our lives because you have decided to disobey God. You've rebelled. So, here you have it, this confrontation, singled out, interrogated, found guilty. But then the second part of this is that there's confession. That's verses 11 through 16. Now, here in verses 11 and 12, Jonah admits his guilt. He admits he's guilty. They said to him, this, uh, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, listen to what Jonah says, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Now, this, this statement sounds more magnanimous and, and self-sacrificial than it's intended to be. You must read this statement in, in its broader context. The broader context here, why didn't Jonah just drop to his knees and cry out and say, God, I am sorry? Why didn't he just do that? Why didn't he just say to them, hey, look, I'm going to call on to my God and tell him that I'm sorry. I'm supposed to be making a beeline up there to Nineveh. I'm going in the wrong direction. And, and, I, and I'd like for you guys to turn around. But if I cry out to him in repentance and turn from my sin, he'll do that. But that's not what he does. What he does is, is this is a statement of stubborn rebellion. What he says is just throw me overboard and y'all be safe. Which shows you how deeply entrenched Jonah's resistance was to doing what God wanted him to do. He did not want to go to Nineveh to say anything about a gracious God to those people, even if it cost his life. Boy, wow, that's incredible. And again, I want to encourage you to read the entire book, lest you think I'm being extravagant here. 
So this confession is not the voice of repentance. This is not one crying out that he wants to change. This confession is just admitting that he is guilty and that he'll accept the consequences. It's not repentance. He said, yeah, I'm guilty, and I will accept the consequences. Throw me overboard, and God will stop it. Well, the sailors conclude that Jonah is indeed the key to quieting the storm. Quieting the storm. So although he takes responsibility for what he does, uh, and I would have to say that there might be a modicum of conscience in Jonah because he doesn't want these fellows to be destroyed. So he says, okay, I'll take the hit. But please, there's no repentance here. I know some commentators and others, and I've heard messages on this that says that the Jonah's repentance began when he was willing to jump overboard. I don't see that. I, I see him acknowledging what he's done, but I don't see that acknowledgement comes until he's forced. I mean, the lot shows that he did it. He's painted in a corner. It is a defiant admission of guilt. And it's astonishing. Jonah was willing to die. And once again, why didn't he just simply repent and choose obedience? Maybe somebody's listening to me right now and you're in that situation. Oh, perhaps in your mind, and maybe not as dramatic as this situation is with Jonah, admittedly. But you have been resisting and resisting and resisting and resisting and resisting. And you know what's happening? Other people are paying for your resistance. God has hurled a storm at you and those associated with you. And yet the pride has, has grabbed you by the heart. And that self-righteousness has morphed into this kind of crazy, stubborn resistance that just stands there and says, no, I'll, I don't care. I'm going to do what I need to do no matter what. Are you there? And, you know, and the point is this. Jonah is even asking God by his behavior not to show him mercy. Isn't that interesting? By his very posture, by, by his very resistance, he's actually saying to God, don't show me mercy. But then again, this, is, this, is a, this God is so incredible because what happens next here is that basically these sailors ignore him. And instead of chucking him and throwing him overboard and deep-sixing Jonah, they exhibit the very grace and mercy that Jonah refuses to extend to the Ninevites. Where do you get that from? Look at verse 13. Nevertheless... He says, throw me overboard. They say, he says, no, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. What's the point here? The sailors want to save his life. They don't want to, they don't want, they don't want to lose their lives. They don't want to lose him. The sailors want to save his life. This is amazing. 
Crawford Loritz here on Living a Legacy. Well, we're sorry, but we must stop there for today. And we'll pick it up at this point next week when Jonah becomes a big fish's fresh dinner. Hope you'll join us again right here. Rebellion Exposed, the title of today's message. It's all part of Crawford's latest series called God's Severe Mercy. Now, if you just joined us at this point in the series, you're not too late. In fact, you can get caught up by going to our website. Listen to Message One, titled Self-Righteous Disobedience, through our audio stream. Look for the past programs link at livingalegacy.org. As you plan for vacation season, consider taking some of Crawford's messages with you to listen to on a plane or on a road trip. There are many to choose from. Download them for free at livingalegacy.org. A quick email is a great way to assure us that you find spiritual benefit in Living a Legacy messages each week. It's very important that you communicate with us to let us know you're there. A quick way to do that is to check in through our contact link on our website. Hope you'll do that today, livingalegacy.org. For Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. Thank you for being with us today. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.